0: A journey through the Gospel of Luke. Um, so please turn your Bibles with me to Luke 18. And we're going to read from verse 9 to 17. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they would bring even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, because it is active, it is living. And Lord, you speak to us today through your word. And so we just want to ask, um, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will come into our hearts, illuminate your word this morning to us, open our hearts to receive, and Lord, may your Holy Spirit work in big ways this morning to stir a, a passion and a love for you. And Lord, we need you, we depend on you this morning. And so come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, for self-made man is a classic phrase coined by a man named Henry Clay when he addressed the US Senate in 1842. And it's the idea that an individual's success lies within themselves, and not outside conditions. And fundamental to that is that you need to back yourself, to believe in yourself, to trust yourself. Now, if we fast forward to today, you know, July 2022, I submit to you the idea of a self-made man, or indeed a woman, uh, is very much alive in Sydney today. Now, our culture holds up to the ideal of a self-made individual where meaning and purpose is found in creating your own adventures in life. And to do that, you need to have the confidence to trust yourself, to look in the mirror each morning and say, you can do this. And we see it in models of schools. Um, one down the road, you know, empowering young women. And another school motto You know, start here and go anywhere. We see it in workplaces where you're encouraged to have your own career development plans. We see it in our own personal endeavors, from fitness goals to dieting goals. We see it in classic Disney movies like Moana and and, and Mulan, where the main characters find purpose and unleash the power within through trusting in themselves or one of my favorite all-time movies, Rocky, made in 1976. A story about a, a working-class man who fought self-belief and hard work and perseverance and overcomes all obstacles in life to achieve his dream of becoming the world boxing champion. So my point is this. Our culture is rife with the spirit of a self-made individual and the value of looking inward and trusting in yourself. Now the danger this morning, church, is that when we adopt this kind of thinking into how we relate to God, when we look inward and even across and down at others and begin to trust in ourselves that we are right with God, we look in the mirror and based on what I see, who I am, what I've done, and think that God must surely be pretty happy with me. And for instance... We may look in the mirror and think that we are right with God because we are a model citizen. We don't dodge our tax. We pay our tax in full and we give to world vision. We may look in the mirror and think we are right with God because we respect our parents, love our spouses and provide for our families. We may look in the mirror and think we are right with God because we come to church every week. We sing loudly and raise our hands and give generously to the church. We may even think and look in the mirror and think that we are right with God because we have a right doctrine. We believe in the justification by faith. We believe in the Bible alone. And we can even say, Jesus is my savior. We can do all that and still not be right with God. And don't get me wrong. Each of these things I mentioned are good things, indeed great things in and of themselves. But we can't trust in these things as we relate to God. They shouldn't be the basis or the foundation of us approaching to God. So my one hope this morning is that our passage this morning teaches us to always approach God with a humble and dependent heart, because there is no other way. That is the only way to relate to God. So I've entitled this, this morning's message, Humility, Humility and the kingdom of God. I've got three points. Point one, guarding against self-righteousness. Point two, receiving the kingdom of God. And point three, growing in humility. Or point one, guarding against self-righteousness. Well, the passage this morning begins with Jesus' parable. And as with all parables... Essentially, there's only one main point that Jesus is trying to convey. What's the point? Well, verse 9 tells us who this parable is for. Let's read with me. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And in the context of previous chapter, we know that Jesus is probably addressing to some of the Pharisees who were there. And who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. Verse 10 we are told that two men went up in the temple to pray. So they're both seeking to approach God. One is the Pharisee, this is your law abiding citizen and religious guru of the day. It's basically a well respected guy. And the other, a tax collector. I mean, he seen as a scum of a Jewish society, hated. It's been seen as a traitor because, you see, tax collectors were seen as working for Rome, collecting taxes for his own, from his own people, and usually in the process, extort people. Um, so they're not, they're not well liked. So as you read this parable, put in your mind that the Pharisee is the good guy and the tax collector is kind of a bad guy as they pray, we learn of the conditions of our heart. Verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself, separate from others and probably up front, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortionists unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. What we learn is that the, tax, the Pharisee is actually morally righteous. Now, people would have seen this man as a God-fearing man, upright and honest and just. But not only that, we read in verse twelve. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. So not only is the Pharisee a morally righteous man, he is also religiously righteous man. He fasts and gives, but not only that, he actually goes above and beyond. Because Jewish laws only required a man to fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement but this guy fasts twice a week. Jewish laws only require a tithe on, on certain possessions, like flocks, grains, wines, and oil, but this guy, he tithes on all he gets. He goes above and beyond all religious requirements. But not only that, is he morally ra- and religiously righteous? This guy has got his theology right. I mean, He begins a prayer by thanking God. He gives credit to where it's due. And from where he stands and what he prays, one thing is clear. He is confident that God accepts him based on who he is and what he's done. Let's contrast this to the tax collector, verse 13. Now, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beats his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wow, what a contrast, isn't it, church? He's got an overwhelming sense that he is not deserving To be here at all to be in the presence of god he knows god is far holier and far superior so he stands far off and beats his breast he cries out in desperation to god with a simple seven word prayer god be merciful to me a sinner what a contrast and we come to a mic drop moment in verse 14 with jesus declaring with all authority Saying, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified. Declared right with God, that is, rather than the other. The significance is that of rather than the other means that only one gets to go home justified. Only one gets to be declared right with God. What's that mean? The tax collector whose life looks like a mess ends up being the one that is justified, whilst the Pharisee, whose life looks all good and scrubbed up outside, ends up missing out on being right with God. So what is Jesus' point here? The point is that God looks at the heart. The man who is humble before God, the one who realizes that he brings nothing good before a holy God, who cries out to God, in desperation and for mercy, is the one who gets declared right with God. On the contrary, the one who is self-righteous, who thinks he is righteous before God, based on who he is and what he's done, goes home unjustified. Because God gives a zilch about a resume of good character and good works if we wave it before him as a basis of us approaching him. So what's that mean? We need to guard against self-righteousness. And why is that? Because self-righteousness is the exact opposite of a humble heart before God. And remember that God only accepts a humble, dependent heart. So we need to be on guard against self-righteousness because it is self-disguising. It's hard to detect, isn't it? It's a sin that hides itself in something that is inherently good like being good and listening to your parents, loving your families, praying and giving generously, coming to church, and the list goes on. And because of all these great things, God must think I am okay with him. But also because self-righteousness hides itself in something that's good, it is by its nature self-justifying. Surely doing good things can't be that bad. But the point of this parable is this, it can be, if you are using it as a justification to think you are right with God. So let me ask you this question, church, this morning. When you read this parable, do you instinctively identify yourself with the Pharisee or the tax collector? And to be honest, the Pharisee in all of us immediately thinks that we are the tax collectors. And that was my initial response when I first read the passage. And we are the good guys in the story. We go home justified, guys. But the passage doesn't really apply to me. And we point our fingers and, hey, you know what? These are the two or three people who should really understand this parable. But I submit to you this morning, church, that we are probably more Pharisee than we would naturally say we are. When we come to church this morning, or indeed every morning when we wake up, That perhaps we have a posture of heart that is a little bit more self-righteous. Now we mightn't think that we, of a category of coming into the presence of God and bringing out our CV of good works and say, hey, God, not bad, eh? We don't do that. But do we come with an attitude of a functional acceptance that God is pretty happy with me? I'm living a fairly good life. I read my Bible. I pray. Yeah, I can probably do a little bit better, but hey, I reckon I'm, I'm pretty all right. And so as a result, we end up with a, a more blasé attitude towards God. And I contrast that to the tax collector who cries out to God. The church be on guard against self-righteousness. We come to point two, receiving the kingdom of God. Now, having just set out Jesus' parables about the Pharisee and the tax collector, Luke, the author of a book, places this account, verses 15 to 17, to teach us something about receiving the kingdom of God. Read with me verse 15. People were bringing infants to Jesus that he may touch them. But for whatever reason, we're not told in this passage, when the disciples saw it, They rebuke them. It is likely that little children were seen as an inconvenience and distraction. It's as if the disciples were saying, guys, Jesus is in town. There's plenty of important ministry to be done. So let's not get sidetracked and distracted with these little kids. But Jesus takes hold of this opportunity and teaches them and us something precious about the kingdom of God. Verse 16, he lets the children come to him and says that to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, Dave last week explained what a kingdom of God is, which is essentially God's people under God's rule in God's place. And it was, it is now and not yet. It is now for all who submit to his rule and living in his presence. And that's us, church today, those who follow Jesus. But also, but not yet, as we await the day when God, when we shall live with God under his kingship in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus say about this kingdom of God? Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Here we see Jesus appeals to some quality possessed by little children, but it's essential for entering the kingdom of God. Now, since becoming a dad six years ago and having three kids, the youngest being two, I've come to experience the first hand that an infant absolutely depends on the parents to do everything for them. Feeding, bathing, getting dressed, and the list goes on. And they bring nothing, contribute nothing, especially in the early years in their lives. They just receive and after months of feeding and nappy changing and massive lack of sleep, you may eventually even get a smile in return. That's why I so appreciate my wife, Katrina. But the point is this. Jesus wants us to understand that to enter the kingdom of God, to come into the presence of God, is to come under his rule. We need to receive, not earn, the kingdom of God like a child. We go to God with Nothing. We approach God with nothing. And doesn't this echo the heart of a taxpayer in the previous parable? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I mean, Luke intentionally placed this incident up the parable to remind us that we need to come to God with nothing. We need to mirror the humility of little children to enter the kingdom of God because they lack anything to boast of and can make any claim on God. So to approach God rightly, we need to hearts that are humble and dependent on Him. Indeed, Isaiah 66.2 actually says that, But this is the one to whom I, the Lord, will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Church, this is the one whom God seeks out and will look to. So why does God look so favorably upon the heart that is humble and dependent? I submit to you it is because only then do we truly accept and appreciate the cross. It is only then that we cry out, this is amazing! Because church, a humble heart sees the great, unpassable divide between a holy God and sinful men. A humble heart knows that there is no way, there is nothing we can do to cross that great divide. Only a humble heart can echo the prayer of a tax collector and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Only a humble heart can see the priceless gift of God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. Only a humble heart can appreciate the precious blood of Christ built for us, paying for the wages of our sin. And only a humble heart can Truly be grateful for the work of Christ. Only a heart, a humble heart can celebrate in amazement all that Christ has done for us. So church, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you can be with us. Because perhaps like a parable, you're here today hoping to find God and to relate to him. And I invite you, Come as you are. You don't need to put on your Sunday vest. All you need to do is say to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm gonna cast your eyes to the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood applied into my life, for your blood that paid for all my sins. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ suffered once for my sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He has done it. Put your trust in his finished work, and just like the tax collector, you can go home today and celebrate, knowing you have been justified, declared right with God. Now, if you're here today, and you're already following Jesus, but perhaps you're feeling a little bit condemned, Maybe because you have been struggling with a besetting sin or maybe you feel guilty because you haven't been coming to God, praying to Him or reading a Bible as often as you'd like and you're feeling pretty flat. Good news. You don't need to complicate your faith. You don't need to bring your saviour of achievements to our King and our saviour but to simply come as you are, your warts and all, And look to the cross and find shelter in the cross and to know in amazement that your life is now hidden with Christ. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for a while. You have entered the kingdom of God by grace, through faith and trust in Jesus. But over time, you now see the self-righteousness has sneaked in. You are looking to yourself Looking at others, your heart posture is one of that things that you are pretty okay before God. And as a result, the taste and the amazement of the cross is slowly fading away. So we come to point three, growing in humility. So church, how do we continue to grow a heart of humility and dependence in our Christian lives? And the answer is not to look in the mirror and say, be humble. If we do that, we might yet again run into self-righteousness. We put it on, we, we succeed, and we look upon others and go, oh, gosh, you've got to grow in your humility, guys. Um, look at me. I'm, I'm being humble. <laughs> How ironic, eh? Um, so the answer is not to look in, our, in the mirror at ourselves and say, hey, we, we, we've got to be humble. To grow in humility, church, we need to look up. And C.J. Mahaney gives this very helpful um, definition of humility. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Isn't that so true? It's only when we look up do we begin to grasp the greatness of God his power, his majesty, the one who created the world and who sustains the world by his word. It is only when we look up do we appreciate his holiness, his purity, and he cannot stand even a hint of imperfection or sin. And so it is that when we look up that we begin to accept that we are the, the worm that we are before God and that the best of our works are but filthy rags. And it's only when we begin to appreciate all this that our joy and excitement for Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross begins to take on a different dimension. And the point is this, not only do we look up and truly appreciate who God is, we grow in humility as we also remember our story. And through what God has done for us. And I'd like us to turn to Titus 3. Verse 3 to 6. And this is all our story. For we ourselves were once foolish. Disobedient. Led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others. And hating one another. But. When the goodness. And loving kindness. Of God our Saviour appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us. In righteousness. But according. To his. Own mercy. By the washing of regeneration. And renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us. Richly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Or church, is a passage that reminds us that God answered our cries for mercy. It's a passage that helps us grow in our humility as we recount our own personal stories. So, church, may we be amazed that it was not only because of his mercy, not our works, that we enter the kingdom of God. May we never forget our story and may we never move on from the cross and may that grow our heart of humility. So in conc- conclusion, church, there is only one way to enter the kingdom of God. There's only one way to approach our king and that is to approach him with a humble and dependent heart. But we are broken people, aren't we? And we need to guard against self-righteousness. So that so easily slips into our lives and how we relate to God. Self-righteousness robs us of humility. It dulls our appreciation of a cross and mutes our joy in the Lord. Instead, we need to receive the kingdom of God like children, wholly dependent on him and knowing we bring nothing in our relationship with him. So church, unlike the Pharisee that drew near in confidence based on trusting himself, let us draw near to our King with confidence, trusting in Jesus and all that he has done for us. So let me end with Hebrews 4:16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, let us draw near to God with a humble, and dependent heart because it's only then do we begin to appreciate the greatness of Jesus and all that he's done for us on the cross. It's only then we get to approach God with true confidence. And may that take your breath away. Please join me as we close in prayer. Well Father Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for working in our hearts. And Lord, we just want to come before you just confessing, Lord, the times that we come to you um, with self-righteousness, thinking that we are we are okay with you, that we are we are right with you based on what we've done, based on who we are, and we fail to cry out in desperation. Lord, that we need you. We need your mercy in light of who you are and who we are. We cannot even lift our eyes to you. Lord, That the divide is too great. But Lord, as we cry out to you for mercy, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, as the one who brought us into your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the shed blood of Jesus that we can now approach you with confidence. Help us, Lord, to grow a heart that is dependent on you, that is humble before you, and that we never forget the story of grace in each of our lives. And Lord, this morning we pray that you will just fill us afresh again with amazement, with gratefulness, with thankfulness, Lord, that you have done great things for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And Lord, fill us with amazement afresh again this day. We pray in Jesus' name. love those when those appear in Scripture, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God...